Another one bites the dust. The Mets split Monday's doubleheader against the Braves thanks to Jacob DeGrom, but had three players go to the IL and two more get hurt. We'll get into Lucchese and all the Mets injuries, how they fill the holes in the rotation, McNeil's return, and critique Jake's scoreboard dance moves. My God. Oh, the electric factory. With Father's Day just passing, why not have a former Mets pitcher who is the father of the richest player in sports right now? That would be Pat Mahomes Sr. joining the show. So put on your dancing shoes, but stretch first, please. We don't need you to get injured, too. It's time for Amazing But True from the New York Post. Crazy, yo. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Welcome back to a Tuesday edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here. Follow me on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio. Nelson Figueroa, former Mets pitcher there. You can follow him on Twitter at FiggyNY. Make sure you give us a five-star rating, please, please, and write a nice review. We appreciate your support. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Joining us later in the show, Figgy, we're excited to chat you know, Father's Day was Sunday. Yes, we're coming with a late Tuesday show, and thank God, because we got a lot of news on Monday, a whole newspaper worth of news in the New York Post that came on Monday. We'll be joined by Pat Mahomes Sr., former Mets pitcher, and yes, the father of the richest quarterback in the history of the world, Patrick Mahomes. You could also get us for Thursday by reaching the Amazing But True hotline. Leave us a voicemail. We love your voicemails. 845-391-3660. You listen to me on the scoreboard, then the hotline bling. Give us a call. That's what I was doing. I was saying, call Amazing But True. And we'll get into my dance moves a little bit later. Pod at gmail.com. But let's get into the nitty-gritty first, Figgy. And that's Monday's doubleheader. We waited to record, and thank God we did, because a lot of things happened. There were injuries. We'll get to those in a second. But let's start with the good. And that's Jacob DeGrom out there. We thought maybe he should have went to the IL. He went out and pitched. He seemed like he was at LaGuardia. I mean, he was getting checked, security checks by the umpire. Take off your belt. Take off your pants. What was coming next? We didn't know. He didn't have foreign substances. He's just that good. He's to go. And he pitched great. Figure the only hit he gave up shouldn't have been a hit. It was a misplay. In the outfield, the sun turned into shade, and Dom Smith and Albert Amora had a mishap. It was essentially a five-inning yeah, no-hitter. Yeah, it was more the wind. Yeah, it was a little wind, yeah, but it was, it was a, a no-hitter, essentially. It was more the wind. It could have been a no-hitter through five. Uh, not a perfect game because, of course, he walked the opposing pitcher. And that was where my concern laid, or the bat by the opposing pitcher, where he's thrown three sliders in a row that were 89 miles an hour and nowhere close, nowhere close to his spot. Actually, in the beginning of the game, the broadcast team, Gary, Keith, and Ron, are, are watching, praising him that they've never seen anybody be able to throw their breaking ball with such precision and i watched his grips i tried to figure out exactly how he's doing this it's almost like there's a cheat code where he's just on time every time with his release point he's able to snap that slider with the downward movement this year more so than in previous years his location is always that down in the way corner he doesn't miss here comes the pitcher and yeah you ease up a little bit because it's a pitcher and you figure you know let me save the good stuff for you know you got a kuna coming up right right next let me save the good stuff for him no he misses badly with these three sliders in a row and he was walking around the mound and taking his time and his demeanor changed when his demeanor changed right there I got nervous I'm not gonna lie I got very nervous I was even nervous when he took that half swing during the game with you know runners in scoring position 
Jake is going to try and find a way to drive him in. We talked about him only bunting, but his body language was saying to me that something wasn't right. He was able to get it together. And of course, it goes back to throwing 101 miles an hour blows away. Acuna gets out of the inning. To me, that's where my concern was. I wanted to see into the dugout, see him talking to whether it was the catcher or the pitching coach. Like what just happened for him to lose his command like that against the pitcher of all batters? And I think it was just him letting up and thinking, you know what? I can ease up for a moment. Let me just ease up. Let me just, you know, give him something, a little spin on it and he'll get himself out because most pitchers can't hit. Finish strong, no problems. But then there's the other side of it for me. And that's if he's healthy and he's strong, then why is he not throwing seven innings? It was only 70 pitches. In the bullpen, uh, you're seeing a lot of these injuries. I can't but happen to think, Figgy, that some of these are coming from overuse, you know, back to oh, back. I are. mean, they are. I mean, Familia going to the IL with hip impingement directly correlates with that 40 pitch outing. I mean, it has to. You're overusing guys. You're using guys too. And I would have sat him on the IL for the, for the sake that maybe he would go seven. If he got 10 days off, maybe he goes seven from now. It's like, are you taking the leash off him next start? Two starts, when is that going to come off? Because you need him to go seven. And in a doubleheader, it would have been beautiful if you could have just got a complete game, seven innings out of him. If he didn't give up the hit, I thought we were going to have a Madison Bumgarner 2.0 where he gets the no-hitter that wasn't the phantom no-hitter, like 1999 Mets World Series tickets uh, in honor of Pat Mahomes. At some point, you had to take the leash off him, Figgy. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And at some point, had to be yesterday. You knew the reason why you were pitching him was it was a seven-inning game. And if he goes complete game right there and, and he's in total command, total control. There's nothing physically wrong with him. 70 pitches is not something that's taxing for the world's greatest pitcher. He is not in any kind of stress. He was able to pitch out of the one jam that he got into. This is why you have an ace. Aces go and continue to go until the game is over. And since it wasn't going to be nine, where you had to make a crucial decision later on, let him keep going. Let him finish out the game. Save as many bullpen pieces as you can for game two. Because you realize, not only are they dropping like flies, but... The guys that are still in there, like a Lugo who just came off the IL, you don't want to see him have a, a reason to go back on. I was joking in the beginning of, of a, not in the beginning of our season, but in, over the past month saying that they had to learn how to use the IL kind of like what the Dodgers did. Give everybody a little rest here and there. These guys are going on the IL and they're not coming back. Yeah, it ain't no joke. These are real. These are legit IL trips. Tommy Hunter, Jordan Yamamoto. We hardly knew you guys. They would pitch one or two games and they're gone. You haven't heard from them. You haven't heard anything. Now you got guys like Jared Eikhoff having to carry the load and get into the rotation because Lucchese has to possibly have Tommy John. The starters are hurting because all he kept doing was begging to throw more than 70 pitches. They let him throw more than 70 pitches, and now he might have to have Tommy John. I, I don't even know what what's the word for it. it. It's just a scary day and age in baseball where it's not the way these guys are training. It's not that they're soft. It's not that they're... I've never seen anything like this where a, a 70, 75 pitch count is the determining factor, usually what a pitcher's worth is, especially a starter. And now anytime they get pushed over that, you're like, oh my God, they need extra time. They need an extra day here or there. And if they do it three or four games in a row, my goodness, you know, you're looking at an IL stint and hopefully, you know, not losing them for a long period of time because Salman threw two innings, two innings and had the, and now he's going to be out with the torn lat. So it's scary right now to think of with all these guys going down, you need to get reinforcements. Jared Eikhoff is not the answer. Although he pitched great. Four innings, you know, he he, he wasn't tremendous. He got himself some chances. I honestly thought he should have came out for the fifth just for the fact that you've been using the bullpen like a drunken sailor. 
But I mean, he did yeah. what he had to and, do, and they lost one. Yeah, I mean, they just couldn't they hit. Lost one they nothing. There's nothing he could do. Yeah. Yep, there was nothing. That, there was nothing that he, he he did wrong. But I watched a guy who in AAA was getting hit around. There was a lot of big swings. There were a lot of just misses, and you take that. You know what? You you go home at the end of the day, and you're like, I have a zero ERA in the big leagues. I'm back. It's been two years since he's been around. But just to watch the stuff, the stuff difference between Degrom and then Ikoff comes in, and the first batter that he throws a slider to. Or, or leaves a slider a little bit over the plate, it's a rocket double in the gap. And you're like, oh, man, this is going to be a bad one. Credit to him that he got out of that first inning. But you can't see that that is going to play well over the course of the next two, three months when you're losing one of your one of your five starters. Yeah, well, Figgy, you might have to be. I mean, right now, immediate, they might have to throw him out there again. Lucchese, like you said, he's done for the year. Looks like he's going to get Tommy John, 13 Mets on the IL. Robert Gazelman, torn lat. We won't see him likely till September. And then Jarris Familia, who we mentioned, hip impingement. What does that timeline look like, Figgy? Uh, do you think we see Familia here after the All-Star break soon after there? Yeah, I, I talked to several different trainers, and one of the trainers I respect uh, wholeheartedly said, you know, there's so many variables of what that timeline could look like. It all depends how long has he been bothered by this injury? Has he been bothered by this injury in the past? Does he feel it only when he pitches? Does he feel it when he's just standing around, sitting? Is it a positional thing? Has he been on medication for it this whole time? You know, an anti-inflammatory? Is it something that he, he needs to? Because it's, it's weight-bearing. You know what I mean? Like, you're talking about explosive movements. So when it comes to the hips... And I could preach on that all day. I had very tight hips and it led to me having a hip replacement at the age of 41. Logging all the innings that I did all around the world playing baseball, which was my joy. You know, I'm at my 40th birthday and I'm walking around like I'm a pirate because of the hip, all the different hip impingements that I dealt with and, and not being able to be fully functioning in my hip area. For Familia, he was able to pitch, but the continual pounding of it where it's a little sore, it's bothering me. Now he's going on the IL. Hopefully, just if he's able to knock it out with some anti-inflammatories and even if it's a cortisone shot to kind of take out the inflammation that's in the joint, that's what he's having right now, he can bounce back and, and be back on the mound and pitching better I than I could ever. argue that you look like a pirate already with your hair without uh, surgeries with a little eye patch on, but uh, I know you're going to come back. Something. You ever you ever disrespect Jack Sparrow like that again? <laughs> oh, Captain Jack Sparrow. Lonely Island. A lot of Mets on the IL. And then on top of that, figure, I mean, you're already getting the news during the game you're texting me breaking some of these or not breaking but i guess they're saying in the broadcast and i'm there so i not seeing it live i look up at the scoreboard game too i see the lucasi news i'm like oh god gazelma news i see that familiar news then tomas nito left the game after getting hit by a pitch you're hoping he's okay because you don't have a ton of catching depth uh, although we would see Mazika Magic back up here, which would be fun. But I'd rather see Tomas Nito. And then on top of that, you thought it was all over. You're like, all right, enough injuries. You got to buy two, get two special. Well, no, it's buy three, get two free. Because then Jonathan VR has to leave game two with right calf tightness. The same leg that he had it last month when he had hamstring tightness. So he's working his way down the body. Uh, next, he's going to have groin tightness. It's, it's working its way up. The, the, the hammy, the calf. And he's a guy, you get Jeff McNeil back, and you could argue maybe that's why they pulled DeGrom. McNeil, first pitch, laser in a center field. Great to see that. Jeff McHitts, just beautiful to see him in the lineup. That's why you were surprised the Mets only scored one run in the second game. You're like, this is their A team, uh, at least in terms of what they've been putting out there. And uh, they lose another infielder in VR. And it would not shock me, Figgy, if he ended up on the IL. And you get one guy back and one guy goes back to the IL. Yeah, he's and he's been playing fantastic because he can play multiple positions. Uh, he's running around. He was the reason they scored that run early on in the game. 
you know, t- being able to take that extra base. And would have scored probably the tying run of the second base because Jose Peraza was asleep at second base on a pitch that went 30 feet away and he didn't go to third. Yeah, that, and that's where the little things matter so much. And, and uh, base running mistakes, you know, uh, it was funny because they used to used to hear this from the Mickey Calloway days, dirt ball read, dirt ball read. As soon as the ball hits the dirt, they wanted them to be aggressive and move up a base. Had he been aggressive and moved up a base, then anything could happen. So a ground ball in the infield – where they're pulled in, it probably goes through, and there's an RBI right there, and it's a tie game. The sack fly, you know, and you see Lindor has been hitting a lot of weak fly balls, but at least it might be deep enough to score a sack fly. But Peraza, even his slide after he realized that he messed up on the ground ball to his right, you're never supposed to move towards third base when there's a ground ball to your right at second. He did that and immediately knew that he was going to be out. He gave a half-hearted slide. It wasn't a Javi Baez, look, my hand's here, my hand's not here, turning and twisting his body just trying to be safe. Had he done a little bit of that, he may have been safe. It was just barely touched, and that was because he slid with his leg in the air, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just did that. I'm an idiot. I'm out already. So he did this half-hearted slide, and that's not what you want to see. Then two seconds later, boom, Lindor gets picked off. So boneheaded plays and just paying attention to details and just being uh, 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 attentive, those things can win games. So it doesn't have to be home run after home run after home run, but running the bases with aggression, just being focused on every single pitch you can't take a pitch off in the big leagues there's an opportunity there and you've seen uh you know pass balls in the first game you know with the with the first catcher i know it was a different catcher it was Contreras, but at the same time you have to put the onus on the catcher to be able to get down make the play and make a throw by that time and especially when it ricochets off 20 feet he's got to be at third base man that's a huge huge play in the yeah, game and you know the bunt fan in me wanted pilar to maybe try and bunt the run home he had a laser not much you could do luckily they did review it we thought there was a second chance and then Brandon Drury comes up who might be one of the guys that gets let go when Conforto and Nimmo are back potentially this weekend that's the one positive as the Mets will get reinforcements they'll get two more guys but Figgy, I mean, we got to talk about the pitching and how they fill this hole here. Because Joey Lucchese's done. He had five terrific starts in a row, and they lose him. Carrasco, no sign of him yet. You know, relief, you got to talk about. Dylan Batanz is a starting room. And I know he's an afterthought by a lot of Mets fans think it's like no chance he comes back. Well, they might need Dylan Batanzas now with Familia out, with Gazelman out. There is a role for Batanzas if he could do anything. So at some point, maybe by All-Star break or after, they could get him. I'm not relying on it, but he would be an arm. But you got to make a move. I mean, they don't have enough starters. I don't know who's pitching Wednesday. And this is also why I just get mad when Rojas will pull starters early because it is only June 22nd. All these guys are getting hurt. And I'm not saying it's on all on Rojas, but overuse is a problem in baseball. And when you have this many injuries, you got to rely on starters to go deeper and save some of these arms. because These guys' arms are going to be falling off soon. How do they fill this hole in the rotation with Lucchese? Do they go internal? It seems like it's a lock they make a trade. But the question is for who? Because Madison Bumgarner is not happening with his contract unless it was all paid for and he's hurt anyway. So that's an, you don't want another guy that's hurt. Who the hell do they bring in here? I mean, you're honestly looking around and you're looking at the bottom dwellers in, in every division. You're looking at teams that are out by double digits in games because, you know, we, we've seen it where teams get hot and they come back and they, everybody thinks they still have a shot because you look up at the division. So nowhere where it's a competitive division are you going to find anybody that's going to be a trade D-backs partner. D-backs and Pirates the, and the Rockies are the three teams the NL you look at. You got, yeah, in the NL you got D-backs, Pirates, and Rockies. Yeah, and of course, you got the Orioles, Tigers. I mean, the Twins are an interesting group because the Twins do have some pitching. Um, they have some names in there that that are, are familiar, at least, to baseball fans. Rangers, 
Angels are always like right there at the bottom, which I, you know, you got to feel bad. They're playing 500 baseball. So they're right. They just happen to be playing, you know, with the Astros and, and the athletics. <laughs> so tough luck. But they on won't that be one. a seller at 500, but no, 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 not even, not even close. Not even close. Yeah. There's no Otani's not coming to the Mets anytime soon, but I'm looking at, you know, you're looking at the bottom dwellers and usually they're in the bottom dwellers because one of these guys is not doing well. I, I love to say one man's trash is another man's treasure, but I don't know how many treasures there are out there you're able to get, but you've got to be able to try and do something because I can't see guys who haven't pitched in the big leagues in two years continue to help this team and, and and be effective. I'm not trying to knock on the guy because I was that guy. You know, I'm looking for an opportunity to prove that I can do it. This is his opportunity to do it. But how long do you go with it while you're in first place? We're starting to see the division, you know, they've got a four game lead, but at the same time, it's like you're one series away from disaster and they're playing against division rivals right now. So they've got to make a move. They've got to find some kind of reinforcements. Their depth has been tested and, and it's no no disrespect to them or, or the way that they set up this team. Their depth is being tested in a major, major way. And we're not seeing any of the guys that went on the IL over a month ago anywhere and close listen, to being Figgy, right. You know, we saw this in 2015 when they traded for Cespedes. But it wasn't just Cespedes. It was getting the Kelly Johnson. It was getting the Juan Uribe. Tyler Clippard. Yeah, yeah. And, and Clippard's a guy. Yeah, I mean, you might not need a hitter, especially if you're getting Conforto and Nimmo back. Uh, maybe you get an infielder, but it's really on the pitching. And this is where Steve Cohen and now Zach Scott will be tested here. And what can they do? Because you're talking about a first place team that needs reinforcements. They need bodies. They're going to have to go out and get uh, someone and someone of value, uh, even if it's moderate value, that can at least be an innings eater and give them some quality innings. The Mets will resume the series Tuesday with the Braves. Stroman will pitch. And then Wednesday, we don't even know. I mean, at this point, the Mets are so hurt, we don't even know who's Could starting. Be you. Could be yeah, you, Jake. Listen, if, uh, if, if dancing was pitching, then I'd be a, a Cy Young winner. And then uh, Thursday off day, uh, you can't deny the electric factory that was uh, me dancing on the scoreboard in game two. If you were there, I had a couple of people take a video. I put on a show, man. That's I try. I, you know, we put on a show here in Amazing. My question true, is, my question I is, I forgot the Napoleon Dynamite moves. That was the thing. How did you get people to take a video? Nobody takes a video of the Jumbotron of just people dancing. Like, oh, I'm just going to. I take was on for dancing. a good. Oh my God, it's Jake. They had me for like 45 seconds. I was literally the star of the show bro it was they had me forever they went to mr matt and they're like his dance moves are lame they came back to me they're like let's go back to the guy in the arms and i happen to be wearing the shirt that they shoot out if i was wearing the amazing Petrusha with my face no, on it, no. likely chance mm-hmm. i don't get on for as long they wanted to plug because the shirt says city this is where i'm at so they're like look He's having fun at City. Go buy tickets for tomorrow's game. That's probably what they're thinking. But they said, Mr. Met, you suck at dancing. Jake Brown, you are Robert Mann of dancing. Oh, my God. Listen, the only thing that you have even in the class of Mr. Met is that shiny bald head of yours. Thank you. I am not willing to ever have you on the Jumbotron with my face on your shirt. Might happen tonight. And and, and and trying to do your best Napoleon Dynamite of all things. I forgot. So I just watched the video back before we recorded to see. And his moves are extensive. I mean, that nerd oh. that nerd was grooving oh. with Napoleon Dynamite. He, Na- Napoleon he was Napoleonic. It. Like, he was just it was poetic. Poetic. The way he moved and flowed. Your moves, a little helter-skelter. I'm not going to lie but, to you. But you, did you, you laugh? From, you laughed, you, though. You tried, you tried pulling from your catalog of moves. And you were mixing genres. And you were mixing freaking... <laughs> 
like songs that didn't even go. But the, the Hotline Bling one was uh, pretty funny because yes. you can do that to anything, especially when you're only 30 and you're single. So it works for you. I did, it works for I you. did receive a few calls from ladies after the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, telling you to lose their number. Yeah, they went in a phone book once I did the uh, the box dance, the classic, uh, what is that called? The uh, Vogue. The Vogue. Vogue. I went Vogue. Madonna Vogue. Yeah, I had, oh, I had Madonna the hit box. the hotline. You just called it the box. I'm out. The, the, I'm out. <laughs> The Vogue Madonna is a classic scoreboard dance move. And the Hotline Bling, if you don't know, that is Aubrey Graham, Drizzy Drake, who does the Hotline Bling song. Watch that music video. The pelvic thrust you mix in there, and it's a party. All right. The only thing worse has been the Mets offense. Their offense has been so bad uh, over the past week or so. And you're looking at the pitching staff, still keeping them in ball games and giving them a chance to win. With one swing of the bat, we have bases loaded, chance to win a ball game. You're looking at they're coming up short, and it's going to take a couple of key hits. I kept saying during these all these wins and everything was great, and Mets are in first place. They're getting timely hitting. It's not that anybody is tearing the cover off the ball, or you're like, oh my god, this guy's hot. Being hot these days is having a, a, a two for three game or a three for four game because then the next three games you're 0 for and you're still batting 300, three for ten. I don't see this offense clicking as of yet, and the more guys that you're getting back and the regulars are coming back to me it look it's looking like individual at bats i don't see like them trying to score a run the old-fashioned not even bunt them over but you know hit it the other way get them over get them in what with less than two outs guy at second base drive the ball in the gap we even saw that from the braves it was bases loaded in that first inning austin riley chases that slider out of the strike zone trying to hit a grand slam instead of just getting a good pitch, maybe walking and getting an RBI. No, he's chasing out of the zone because he wants to be the hero. He wants to be the superstar. So the individual style of, of hitting, it seems to starting to permeate into the Mets where when they were winning, it was a team style of hitting where you know it was a couple of hits in a row, then a timely double by somebody who never hit a double all year. That kind of thing, you know, they say hitting is contagious. I need to see more of that, putting together good at bats, being able to deeper counts against pitchers, fouling off some pitches, not all these big swings and misses trying to hit home runs. Well, thinking, unfortunately, that's baseball today. You're seeing it not just with the Mets. It it's is. all around the no, league. No, 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 it is. Without a doubt. You're, you're 1,000% right, and that that's my, you know, this is me get off my lawn moment. The team element of baseball, especially when you're playing with random players or guys who weren't good enough to be on their own team and get designated for assignment, now you're looking at McKinney coming up with his 220 batting average and a pinch hitting role, and you're like, oh, he's going to come through in the clutch. That's not who he is. He had some big home runs, and he was able to get some timely hits, and that's why you started liking him and, and seeing him play every day. Him coming off the bench cold and, and taking one swing, we're seeing a lot of strikeouts. We're seeing a lot of what baseball has become today. You know, there's no shame in striking out when we can appreciate guys hitting the ball the other way. There was that ball, I think it was VR that hit the ball down the left field line that Riley made a great play on. That was a double right there with two RBIs, but he saved that two RBI before, you know, Dom Smith was able to clear the bases. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for more of that type of team oriented hitting because uh, it's not one or two guys that are carrying you guys that are supposed to be carrying you in the middle of the lineup they haven't been able to do it thus far and you'll keep saying it'll come it'll come it'll come it's only going to take one or two runs with this pitching staff and that's what i think is the most important part because now these pitchers are going to be pressing more than ever to try and be perfect and look at castro one bad pitch 
changed the whole ballgame. Well, that's what's frustrating about today's game, and we're, we're just seeing it around the league. I mean, the telling stat of the Mets season is the Mets are first in ERA and 29th in runs per game, and that's all you need to know. And they're about top five. They're top five in defense. Yeah. They're top five in defensive runs uh, saved, top five in defense, number one in pitching, and they're in first place because of it. It's not they're hitting. They're, their runs scored, they're second to last. I say it's a shame, but there's been so many people out of the lineup, and they were doing well and playing well because they were getting timely hits and being able to string a few hits together. Even aggressive base running. Aggressive base running has really been a, a big key because you're getting guys in the scoring position. Now they're, they running, like, run. now they're running like drunk hooligans out there. Yeah, like but they scored, they scored a run in the first game without a hit. And right? I love that. Neither and that's, what, that's what you miss with VR because, yeah, he tagged up with one out. It's a little questionable sometimes, especially on a ball to left field. But he was confident he knew he could get there because that's what he does. He's speedy. Uh, he's speedy for a thick boy. You know, they talk about that he's thick. Thick thighs save lives. Chunkier guy, but he's speedy. And he got to third, and I love getting a third, even with two outs, because you do have wild pitches. 0-2 pitch, curveball in the dirt, boom, score. And that's why it was so frustrating why Peraza didn't get to third. And listen, this is why bunts, to me, are baseball porn, because if Pilar lays down a good bunt, third base is playing deep, you know, maybe they tie the game. Nothing you could do. He had a laser to third base. But still, like, the only time we see bunts, which is bizarre, is always with Lindor. Lindor will lay down a sack bunt. I'm like, why can anyone else but the guy, the highest paid player on the team lay down a bunt? I don't get it. But, you know, the Mets pitching figgy is what's carrying this team in the first place. And a great philosopher, Aubrey Graham, once said, they're top two and they're not two. Let's stay in first place, four-game lead. Win this series against the Braves because you got a big one with the Phillies. The Phillies are still four games back when you got four games against them. Could very much change before the 4th of July when you face the Yankees. So, Big week here for the Mets, Conforto and Nimmo still rehabbing, hopefully back this weekend. Hopefully we have no more guys go to the IL this week because it's getting out of control. But uh, City Field, the full medical ca- Mets, medical Mets, the medical Mets, the medical Mets, uh, full capacity at City Field. Looking forward to hopefully a packed house this week. It wasn't as crowded as I thought it would be for Monday, but uh, I guess not as many people wanted to see Jared Eikhoff after they got out of work and, and missed Jacob DeGrom. And uh, I can't blame them coming up next here on amazing but true father's day was sunday we'll be joined by a great father a grandfather a former mets pitcher that would be pat mahomes senior coming up next on amazing but true Joining us now on Amazing But True is a former Mets pitcher that pitched here for two seasons as part of those memorable 99 and 2000 teams that made the NLCS and World Series respectively. He pitched 11 seasons in the big leagues for the Mets, Twins, Red Sox, Rangers, Cubs, Pirates, and was Figgy's teammate with the Long Island Ducks. He's a member of the So Falls Hall of Fame, and you might know his son, who happens to be the highest paid quarterback in the history of the league, that would be Chief Super Bowl champion quarterback. And let's welcome him in now to Amazing But True, Pat Mahomes Sr. Pat, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Amazing. Doing well. We're doing amazing. The Mets are doing fairly amazing, but a lot of injuries. And we're having you on here, Father's Day. And you got to be a proud papa and now a proud, you're a, a grandfather now as well, finally. That is correct. Yes, I am. Uh, you know, it was always a pleasure, you know, you know, to have a son that, uh, like Patrick, you know, uh, kind of a kid that did everything right, had a dream of playing, uh, being a professional athlete, and to see him get a chance to play professionally is, is awesome. And now with the addition of the granddaughter, just kind of makes everything complete. When he signs $450 million contract, do you text him saying, can I hold a dollar? No, I tell you what, it was a funny story. Uh, I uh, coach baseball, you know, traveling baseball, and uh, 
we were up in McKinney. It was in between games, and my son called me. He said, Dad, uh, I think I'm getting ready to sign. And I said, okay. I said, uh, you know, what are you going to get? And he said, it's uh, it's 10 years. He said, it all together be a little bit over $500 million. He said, I don't know if I should sign it or not. And I told him, I said, boy, you better cut your finger and put an X on that before they change their mind. So, you know, it was it was kind of crazy. I mean, he was debating on whether he was going to sign for $500 million. I, I thought he was crazy. <laughs> See, that's one of the beautiful things, man. You have your son and, and playing baseball, whether it's in the major leagues or the minor leagues, traveling around so much and getting to spend as much time as you can with your son. Uh, you know, we had a chance in Nashville to see him come out and put on a show and show what kind of an athlete he was. How special was that to be able to have him coming in and out of your life as you were, you know, chasing your major league dreams? Well, you know, uh, the first time I took him to the the ballpark was uh, when I was with the Mets in uh, 99. And I remember I, you know, got the uniform guy to, you know, make him a little uniform and everything. And, you know, and he had his little shower shoes and he had his little locker, you know, right beside mine and everything. And, uh, I take him out to the field and uh, all the coaches, you know, they kind of freaked out. You know, they said, hey, 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 you got to, you know, he can't be out there. Or you got to, you know, go out there with him and, and stay beside him the whole time. Make sure he doesn't get hurt. And I was like, he'll be all right. I said, you know, if the ball hits him, I said, I guarantee you he'll learn from him. He won't get hit again. But, you know, to see him out there, you know, having so much fun, I, you know, it's it's kind of like bringing your son to work day. At the time, he was four years old. He went all that season. And then the next year, he was you know, when he turned five, uh, he was out there shagging balls. And you see him running around. He wanted to catch one so bad in the air, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And uh, finally, uh, Robin hit him a pop-up. He caught it, boy. And uh, the look on his face, I mean, it was just priceless. So, you know, it's always great to do that. But uh, a funny story is people didn't realize that after Patrick, you know, he won the MVP that year, the same year Mookie Betts ended up winning uh, the MVP of baseball. And uh, I remember – you know, for a brief time there, taking him and Mookie Betts out on the fields out of Nashville and think about, you know, doing that with them when they're, you know, 9 and 10, 11 years old. And now, you know, to see them both, you know, being, you know, some of the best players in their respective sport, I mean, it's just crazy. Was Sidney Crosby there too? I mean, do you need any other sports <laughs> MVPs? I mean, you get an MVP and Lionel Messi, I don't know, some other player as well. Jesus. Well, I don't know. You know, Sidney Crosby is white. You know, you got to be you know, black. Like, you know, I don't know too many black hockey players, so uh, I don't think I work with any of them. <laughs> See, that's the thing. This man, his nickname was The Glue, and for good reason, man. Good things happen around Patrick Mahomes. When you're able to see the kind of numbers that are put up, look at the other side of it. Fernando Tatis who's a teammate of mine, his son, you know, gets one of the highest contracts in all of baseball history. So I don't know. I must've been doing something wrong. I have a, I'm a girl dad and I'm proud of it, but at the <laughs> same time, it's amazing to think about what could have been. I know one thing for you. Did you ever try to talk him out of playing football? Actually I did. Um, it was funny. Um, you know, I let him play, you know, all the way up. He played quarterback seventh and eighth grade freshman year. He started a year. He's a quarterback of the freshman team. And then he got, called up to varsity you know late on in the year they put him at safety for the playoffs and first game he played you know he got an interception and everything and so I think they went two or three games deep well sophomore year he started on varsity safety and he was the backup quarterback and uh, he played the whole year the quarterback they had was was a real good quarterback that team was really really good but you know we blew a lot of people out but he never got one snap the whole year and I you know I went up to the coach I was like Dude, I mean, I understand that, you know, this guy is, 
you know, really, really good. But what happens if he gets hurt? I mean, here we are almost getting ready to go to playoffs, and he hasn't played not one snap all season. So uh, we actually went to the University of Texas and saw it, I guess it's like sophomore day or something like that. And we're sitting up there at the University of Texas, and he's sitting over there in the safety room. If anybody knows, I mean, I mean, yeah, he can intercept the ball, but he wasn't a safety. And I remember asking Mac Brown, I said, uh, I said, so you mean to tell me you're recruiting him as a safety? And he goes, yeah. I go, well, that lets me know right there that y'all don't watch film. I said, because my son hasn't made a tackle in two years. And I said, it ain't by accident either, because I told him he better not tackle anybody. <laughs> and so to get back to your question, when we were riding back home from Austin, you know, they actually put him over in the quarterback room. But when we were riding back home from Austin, I looked at him and I said, Hey, man, I said, you know, why are we messing around with this football stuff? I said, you're either going to be a, a baseball player or you're going to be a basketball player. I said, football is your worst sport. I said, why are we even spending time, you know, doing this? He looked right at me and he told me, he said, Dad, you know, you know, I just want to play with my friends. He said, uh, I can't see myself on Friday nights, you know, being up in the stands and watching them play and not being a part of it. So that was kind of it for that conversation. And uh, his junior year, he got to be quarterback. Uh, I think he threw 46 touchdowns or something. And then his senior year, he totally went off. So I'm glad that I didn't, I wasn't successful in <laughs> talking him out of not playing. Figgy, I wish I could say I just want to play with my friends and turn it into $500 million. I mean, God, that we, we'd be, you know, have caviar and be sipping on fine wine all day and night. <laughs> Did you ever envision that? Like, because there's one thing to be a great player and athlete, but to be next level and one of the, one of the greatest, obviously still so much room to grow and more Super Bowls to win. But, I mean, I can't imagine you even envision that at any point. Well, to be honest, I saw all the stuff that he does now in the NFL. You know, the no-look passes, uh, the left-handed passes and stuff. He did all that stuff in high school. I mean, and he worked on it, you know, and everything. But in my mind, I didn't know if that would translate to the next level, like when he went to college. And then once he got to college and he started doing some of the same stuff, I'm like, okay, that's good, but I don't know if it's going to translate to the next level. I mean, it's just always been the same. I mean, me envisioning him being a $500 million quarterback and going to two Super Bowls, no, I, I, I'd i be lying. I mean, I always thought he was going to be a baseball player. Yeah, I listen, I remember watching and looking out for him in college and Baker Mayfield's getting all the pub, and I'm looking at the video game numbers that he's putting up at Texas Tech, and I'm like, my goodness, what what is it that he can't do that you know this the pro scouts don't see him doing because i'm watching him put up these numbers and making every kind of throw and then even when he gets drafted the perfect situation right andy reads there and he's sitting next to him and being the son of a former major leaguer i know you sat down next to him so many times and gave him information the good the bad you know and making those constructive criticisms being that he had a head start on that you could just see like he was soaking everything up from Andy Reid. And then when his time would come, he was ready and well-prepared. And I think that's what really sets him apart. The giftedness and, oh, I, I got to say this first. Is it true that you were you were all state and two states? Is that true? Yeah, that, that is true. That is true. Um, I actually played one game in Arkansas and I uh, had like 48 points. And they voted me all state over there in Arkansas too. But uh, <laughs> that's, either, that's neither here nor there. But back to what you were saying, man, um, Patrick landed in kind of a perfect storm. I remember when um, they asked him, he said, Dad, I'm thinking about going pro after this junior year. I'm thinking about, you know, entering the draft. And I said, um, well, I'm not worried about that. You know, I mean, uh, if you're ready to go, are you ready to go? And it was funny. LaTroy Hawkins was with me. He said, Patrick, I only got one question for you. He goes, 
He goes, are you ready to lead grown men? And Patrick kind of looked at him and looked at me and said, what do you mean? He goes, well, give you an example. If Des Bryant, if you're on the Cowboys and Des Bryant comes back to the huddle and he goes, hey, man, I got a wife and kids to feed. You know, uh, you got to give me the damn ball. You know, you got to throw me the ball. What are you going to say? And Patrick said, well, I'll tell him if he gets open, he'll get the ball like that. So after he said that, he had like a late first, early second round grade, but I kind of knew something that none of the scouts knew, which was that Patrick has what they call an eidetic memory. And so I knew he had all the tools, you know, you know, arm strength and could make all the throws and, and do all that stuff. I also knew that once he got into the, the meetings and got into the, the boardrooms and, and uh, the sessions on the, on the whiteboard and stuff, if Patrick looks at something one time, I mean, he remembers it. I mean, you, if he's reading a book or something and you can say uh, in The Killer Mockingbird, it says, you know, Boo Riley did this or whatever, on, you know, in the book. And he can go, yeah, that was page 273, you know, paragraph two, you know. So I knew once they saw that, that his stock was going to, you know, go way up. And um, so I wasn't that worried about that part of it. Where did his Mets fandom begin? Was it when you were there when when, when he was four years old? Was that And then has he, like, followed them? Does he watch the Mets? You know, Donovan Mitchell's the other guy that's a, a big Mets fan. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell Sr. with the Mets. But did it come from when you were there in 99 and 2000? Well, yeah. I mean, I was a big Mets fan growing up. But, yeah, once, you know, I played there, um, to me, that's where it all started for him. Him getting to go to the ballpark and stuff and, you know, showering with the guys and being a sponge, just being around, man. I mean, it's crazy that you would think four- to nine-year-old kid can – recall and remember, you know, conversations he had and looking at somebody's work ethic and, and knowing what it takes. I mean, uh, he was sitting with A-Rod when I was with the Rangers. He would take him down, you know, in the tunnels and let him hit balls and he'd record him. And then he would go set it up, you know, go set it up and they'd go in the film room and he'd watch it and he'd show him what he was doing wrong. And I mean, he remembers that. And he remembers, you know, you know, A-Rod kind of embellished a little bit on the, on the little special they did. But uh, he remembers the work ethic. I think A-Rod said he hit like six, seven home runs in a row or something. And he was down there two hours early getting some work in. And Patrick said to him at the ripe old age of six, he said, Patrick said to him, A-Rod, you just hit six home runs this week. He goes, why are you still working so hard? <laughs> so, you, know, you know how that goes with A-Rod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, oh, yeah, as long as A Rod wasn't like, well, here's a needle, and no, I'm not gonna go. <laughs> there he, he got a little bit of sense. He know better than that. There you go. As a Mets fan, and I was watching from afar because I was, you know, playing at the time, trying to get myself also into that Met uniform. Watching what you were able to do in '99, 2000, especially '99. Watching what you were able to do it had to be one of the highlights of your career. Oh, uh, no doubt. I mean, it was like I said, I grew up a big Mets fan. You know, I was supposed to get drafted by the Mets as an outfielder. And the Twins um, took me one pick before the Mets made me a pitcher, which, you know, I really didn't want to do. But uh, I had just been in Japan, you know, uh, had got into it with my managers over in Boston. And I went to Japan for a year and a half, got a chance to come back. And the Mets, you know, offered me a contract or whatever and with the invite to spring training. I remember Bobby Valentine telling me in spring training before it started, he goes, there's not any spots on this team. He goes, you know, just letting you know from the beginning. And I pitched the whole spring 
and I didn't give up a run. Last game of spring training, he started me. You know, I threw five perfect innings. Over in Florida, I come in into the clubhouse. He comes in behind me, and he's smiling and laughing. I'm thinking, okay, he ain't no way he can send me down. You know, there's no way he can send me down. And yeah, he started laughing. He was like, he said, you made the team. He goes, but I ain't got no spot for you. He said, so you have to go down to Norfolk, and, you know, first person gets hurt or whatever or goes down, you know, you'll be up. And so that's exactly what happened. I went down there, and uh, they called me up. And once they called me up, and you know, I, I just didn't want to disappoint anybody. And I was uh, fortunate enough, you know, up there with them that year, you know, to, you know, to go 8-0, you know, and hit over 300. And it's funny, you know, I've never lost a game at, at, in that stadium. So, I mean, that's that's <laughs> something I can always, you know, hang my hat on. And to pitch for the team that I, you know, grew up rooting for, I mean, it was like a dream come true. And probably the biggest factor is I know what happens when you play against New York, or when you're playing in New York, if you're not on your game, they're going to boo you. And so the way to keep them from booing you is go out there and do your job every time. And even if you do mess up a little bit, just be straight with the media. You know, don't don't dodge the questions. Just ask, hey, I wasn't good today, you know, and they'll leave you alone. So that's kind of what I did. What was your best Mets moment? Ooh, I would have to say uh, it's kind of bittersweet. But uh, to me, it was um, game six in LCS in 99. Um I pitched two innings pretty much every every game. And uh, I remember sitting down in the bullpen with Al Jackson. And, of course, you know, we fell down 3-0, and then we come back, it was 3-2. And, and so we had to win. Al Leiter was pitching on uh, on short rest. I remember me and Dotel and Kenny Rogers and all of us were sitting down there. And I asked Al Jackson, I said, hey, uh, you know, who do you think going to be first up today? And he goes, Probably you. And I go, what? I said, I don't pitch. You know, and I swear three minutes later, the phone rang and I get up, you know, it's me. Sure enough, it's me. And I get up and I start warming up. And then um, I don't think Al got out. He didn't get out that in that first inning. They had scored three or four runs. There I go on the field with bases loaded, you know, and, and no outs after, you know, pitching two innings the night before. And I'm like, and having a few uh, adult beverages the night before because I thought I probably had, you know, most of the game off. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I ended up getting out of that and end up uh, pitching uh, four scorers in it. And, and we came back, we took the lead a couple times. But the, the, the bitter part was that, you know, we ended up losing in the extra innings. But uh, that was probably my, my best moment, I think. Freaking Kenny Rogers. God damn it. Never forget. <laughs> that, was my, that was my first year as a Mets fan, that playoff run when I was eight years old in 99. And, uh, I remember you remember Bobby Jones and God, I'll never forget that the, the walk uh, with the bases loaded. But uh, so it was base loaded, no out, and you got out without giving up a run. Well, actually, I gave up. Uh, the first guy hit a sack fly, and then the next guy hit into a double play. So I gave up, you know, one of one of Al's runs, but ended up doing pretty well. One of the other things that we played together and we were in the minor leagues and talking about the ups and downs and how we try to keep each other sane. Adult beverages are one thing, but. <laughs> When you uh, are able to uh, adopt a whole persona and name and be known around town as the Black Cowboy, talk about Tootsies for five seconds, if you can't. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was crazy. You know, uh, the boys, you know, after the game, we would uh, somebody would have to bring a, a different six-pack, you know. So after the game, you know, we'd sit in the clubhouse, you know, with our robes on and and cowboy hats and, you know, drinking beer and stuff. And Jim Mann was, was talking one day, and he said that uh, he had um, – he was going that they had been going to this place called Tootsie's. Me, you know, just BSing like I always do. I said, oh, man, I don't been there several times, you know, whatever. No, no, you ain't never been there. You won't come down there or whatever. I, you know, I went in there. You know, I walked down there, I went in there, and and boy, I walked in. It's like the whole place, you know, it just went. <laughs> and I was like, 
hey, how y'all doing? You know, walk right on in, you know. So I started hanging out with him. So another session, we started um, talking about this guy named Joe Nichols. And uh, I told him, I said, man, I know Joe Nichols. No, you don't know Joe Nichols. Well, just lo and behold, the next day I'm eating lunch and Joe Nichols come walking down the street. So I, I jump out, <laughs> I jump over the rail and I go, I say, hey, man, I said, uh, I'm not crazy. You know, I, pl- I play for the Pirates. I'm down here in Nashville. I said, I got some buddies that are across the street and uh, in Tootsie's. And uh, I told him, I know you. I said, if you just walk in there and act like you know me, I, you know, I appreciate it so much. He said, oh, yeah, let's go. So we walked in there and I, if you could have saw their face, we walked in there and I, and I sit there and I go, hey, y'all, I said, I want y'all to meet a good friend of mine, Joe Nichols. And, you know, he played with the bit and all that. And so we end up starting going to Tootsie's, you know, pretty regular every Friday, Saturday night. And lo and behold, one Friday night, I found myself on stage singing, you know. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, I bought me this black cowboy hat and I'd go in there and I'd be the only black person in there. And uh, I was on stage singing Garth Brooks. Friends, uh, in, low friends in low places. And, uh, <laughs> I was selling the place out. I need to say I was selling the place out every weekend after then. hey did that tab ever get paid off uh i don't think so (laughs) hitting five figures (laughs) oh yeah it was a real high tab man one of one of my most fondest teams i've ever played with in the minor leagues because we had some veteran guys and we're sitting back and we would open the newspaper i know you remember this opening a newspaper every monday usa today read everybody's stats and just start circling circling. (laughs) everybody with over a five era what was our phrase I can't help nobody. Yeah, I can't help nobody. That's what I'm saying. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it was crazy, man, because like you said, there were so many veterans on that team. You know, every guy should have been pretty much in the big leagues. I remember us going like 15 games without giving up a run or something insane to start the season. I remember one guy went down. I forgot who it was in the big leagues. And it was the craziest feeling because nobody knew who was going to get called up because everybody was pitching lights out. I mean, you had Figgy and Vogelson and Wisden starting and then bullpen. I mean, our lone guy was throwing 102 with back then when, you know, he didn't win the big leagues or me did because if you throw up 100, they automatically take you now. But that's a whole different story. But, I mean, we didn't we didn't have any idea who was going to be there. What are you up to now, Pat? Now, I know you're doing the big Mahomes show and you're on the course a lot. What, what's your handicap? What, what are you up to these? days 6.2 right now i'm swinging them pretty well but you know what i do is uh, i have a a baseball academy here in in tyler and i have a 12u team a 13u team and now that the summer started i have 15u and 18u team so just trying to you know teach these kids you know some of the stuff that I feel like I didn't know when I when I first went to start playing and, and try to prepare them for high school and hopefully they can, you know, take it, you know, to a, another level. I've been doing that now for about about 10 years. And, you know, also a couple of weeks from now, I'll be going down to uh, Vero Beach again. And, you know, I'm one of the instructors for the, uh, the Hank Aaron Invitational. I've been doing that now for about four or five years. So just trying to stay busy, do as much as I can in baseball and play as much golf as I possibly can. Check out the Big Mahomes Show podcast cast a great baseball career in the majors and the minors congrats on all your son's success congrats on being a grandfather now as well pat mahomes appreciate you coming on amazing but true oh man anytime you know i had a blast just so glad to be here and to be able to be in the presence of mets That says adios to episode 62, the Drew Smith edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. 
Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Please subscribe to Amazing But True and give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Gracias, mis amigos. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Thursday after the Mets series with the Braves at City. I'll see you there. Thanks for listening, folks, and let's go Mets.